Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Born on America's darkest day of 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been helping America's heroes ever since. When a first responder or military service member doesn't come home and young children are left behind, Tunnel to Towers pays the mortgage on the family home to lift the financial burden. For severely injured veterans and first responders, Tunnel to Towers builds mortgage-free smart homes, enabling severely injured heroes to move around their homes more independently. Through the Foundation's Homeless Veteran Program, Tunnel to Towers is providing housing and services to homeless veterans. More than 3,300 were helped last year alone. Because all veterans who honorably served, whether in peacetime or war, deserve our nation's gratitude. People who put their lives on the line for our country and our communities need your help now more than ever. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good and never forget 9-11 or the sacrifices of this country's heroes. Donate $11 a month at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T, dot org. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. The Biden administration is defending its decision to lift the Title 42 immigration rule, announcing the Trump-era rule will be terminated next month. Title 42 allowed border officials to quickly expel migrants on public health grounds and was considered by many to be the last tool that law enforcement had to hold back the incoming tide of illegal immigrants. We'll take a look at the Biden administration's decision and what it means for the ongoing crisis at our border in tonight's Hold the Line. Welcome to Hold the Line. I'm Buck Sexton. So they're saying it might be the biggest tsunami of illegal immigration ever. That's that's what the consensus opinion seems to be right now, even among those in the press who don't want to talk about this issue, just because it's so clear. Understand that right now, Title 42 is used to turn back about half of the illegal immigrants and those who are apprehended at our border crossing into this country illegally. Uh, and to turn them away. Single adult males, for example, are quite easily turned away at the border in many circumstances under Title 42 authority. Family units, women, children, that's more complicated, but there have been a lot of people who have been turned away under this. Well, guess what? 
that's about to change. The Biden administration knows it, and they're not going to do much, if anything, uh, of anything to stop it. In fact, I think you could argue quite clearly they like this state of affairs. Here's the Washington Post and the coming influx of migrants. In preparation for a possible post-Title 42 border rush, the Department of Homeland Security has enlisted Federal Emergency Management Administration officials, FEMA, to help prepare for as many as 18,000 migrants per day. That volume would be nearly three times the current pace of arrivals. Now, let's be quite clear, my friend. Uh, that would completely overwhelm them. The Border Patrol is already stretched to the limit. There are hundreds of thousands of gotaways uh, that are currently, over the last six months or so, have been able to uh, get, get through the border without even being apprehended. That's gotaways. And you have massive numbers of illegal entrants into the country on a monthly basis. This means that there's a lot of fentanyl also flowing into the border. It is porous. It is lawless. It is anarchic down at the U.S.-Mexico border right now. That's the reality of it. But they don't care in this Biden administration because they want to kick the doors wide open, even wider than they've been. So here is, for example, Secretary Blinken, Secretary of State Blinken, on Biden rescinding Title 42. It's about the science. Watch. When it comes to Title 42, all along we've been following the science. That's what this is about. So when uh, the, the CDC and others... Uh, conclude that the science doesn't uh, doesn't warrant that, uh, as is now happening. Uh, then we'll we'll take action. Here's my focus, uh, and uh, the vice president's focus as well. Uh, we're focused on uh, making sure that people throughout our hemisphere have opportunities at home going forward, so they're not faced with this uh, this really hard choice of leaving everything behind and trying to come to the United States. Oh, yes, the, the root causes, the root causes, that, that's going to work really well. Sure, people that think they can get into America and get benefits right away, even if they're non-citizens and here illegally because Democrats want to give them that, they're going to stay in Nicaragua if only we give a little more foreign aid or something. This is lunacy. It's, of course, also what Vice President Kamala Harris was pushing when she was the border czar. You don't hear much about that anymore. Uh, meanwhile, what is the Biden administration going to actually do about this? I mean, they know the numbers are coming. They know it's going to be massive. Well, they could just lie to you and say that the numbers really aren't that big of illegal crossings. And it's just something that's happening that always happens. Here's the OMB director, for example, saying that border crossings are, you know, where they historically have been. Watch. Look, we have a, a pattern of migration yeah. um, and we are preparing to ramp up for a traditional pattern um, of additional right. people coming across the border. My question is, what well, do you support uh, eliminating Title 42 deportation authority? I don't have a personal opinion. I believe we, uh, from a resource position, are putting forth enough money to deal with a historic pattern. Historic pattern. It's not historic. It's historic in, in, in it being the all-time high. It's, it's shattering the records of history by being the most illegals in the country ever. It's not standard operating procedure down at the border, not by a long shot. So why is she seeming to suggest otherwise? Well, because they're going to have to lie to you about the numbers because the numbers are going to be so big that people are going to realize there's quite a problem at our border. And they just simply don't want it to stop or they are unwilling to stop it. Here's the actual data. A graph that'll show you border encounters from fiscal years 2022, 21, 2020. 2022 is in red, already exceeding 
previous years. The last year Trump was in office, which is 2020, of course, was incredibly low. Now, yes, there was a border shutdown that year because of COVID, but let's just understand we are at all time, not just recent, all time highs for illegal migrant crossings into this country. And here's what they're going to do. They're going to say they're surging resources to the border. I'm going to tell you what the playbook is right now. They're going to say they're surging resources, more personnel to the border than ever before. But they're not going to do that so they can stop people from crossing into the country illegally. No, no, no. The plan is going to be to make the process of illegal entry as seamless as possible for as many illegal migrants as possible so that there are no visuals of, say, 15 or 20,000 uh, at one time. Remember when the Haitian migrants all gathered together at the U.S.-Mexico border and there was this visual of a huge pool of migrants waiting to come into the country illegally. People pay attention to that. They wanted to. The media wanted to hide it, but they really can't. So what are they going to do? They're going to send more resources to the border to process illegal migrants more quickly, let them into the interior of the United States, and then pretend like they've actually secured the border because you won't see that visual of a large mass of illegal migrants all gathered together. It's about streamlining illegal immigration, not about stopping it. That's the huge difference between what the Democrats are going to say here and the reality of what's actually going on. Because everybody understands the current situation at the border, even former DHS Secretary Jay Johnson, who does say some reasonable things. Yes, he was DHS Secretary under the Obama administration, but he says some reasonable things about the border and about the truth down there. He says that the numbers are unsustainable. Just for perspective, we're about to hit one million in six months. Uh, my highest year was 468,000 in the entire year, and that politically felt like the world was coming to an end. Uh, so these are these are very very large numbers. They're they're unsustainable in my view. And you make a good point that if Title 42 is lifted, then the public health debate may move to the southern border. Uh, unsustainable. So what are they going to do? They they won't stop this influx. So the preference will be to try to manage the optics, as they would say in D.C., to try to change the way this is viewed by the public or make sure that it isn't viewed at all insofar as they're able to get so many people into the country so quickly, process them, release them in the U.S. interior. There's even word that they're setting up a, a, a rapid redeployment of illegal migrants inside the country so that they'll take them into the interior and then process and then release them. This is the way they're going to do it that the American people don't know how porous and open the border really is going into a midterm election that's already looking like it's going to be pretty ugly for Democrats. We have to shine a light on the truth. That's what we'll continue to do here. We have to have the American people knowing what's really going on at our southern border. All right, switching our attention here to the situation in Ukraine, a gruesome discovery in the newly liberated suburbs of Kyiv Hundreds of bodies of civilians allegedly murdered by Russian soldiers during the months-long occupation, littering the streets and alleys in the city of Bukha. We'll have more on that with the Heritage Foundation's Nile Gardner in just a moment. Let's talk about protecting your online data for a moment. A lot of companies promise your privacy is guaranteed, but we know that's not true. That's why you need a new privacy and cybersecurity application tool called Secure. It's spelled S-E-K-U-R. Secure is using proprietary encryption and offering secure instant messaging and email. With Secure, all of your communication is based on servers and data centers hosted in Switzerland without using any of the big tech platforms. Privacy is a big issue now. 
Without real security, people can read your emails, messages, and even your bank information. Secure will never mine your data and never ask for your phone number. You can send emails to your doctor, banker, lawyer, anybody with total confidence that you're not being spied on. Secure is your solution to stop the constant theft of your digital identity. It costs only $5 for the messenger, only $10 for the messenger and email combination package. Go to secure.com and take back your privacy today. That's S-E-K-U-R.com and use promo code BUCK for 25% off. We'll be right back with more Hold the Line. There's a battle going on right now that may be the most important fight our country's had since the Revolutionary War. Once again, it's about our freedom. People like you and me are being canceled. Our speech increasingly censored by big tech and corporate media. Can't let that happen. Time to fight back. Please stand with us and support The First TV. Be a part of our team dedicated to preserving the very essence of who we are, free Americans. As Ukrainian forces retook areas to the north and west of Kyiv, they uncovered shocking evidence of brutality during Russia's month-long occupation. In the city of Buka, the bodies of civilians allegedly murdered by the Russian military were strewn across the city's streets and alleys, some with their hands tied behind their backs. According to Buka's mayor, at least 300 residents of the city were killed during the occupation. Following revelations, President Joe Biden called Vladimir Putin a war criminal, called for a trial for the Russian president. Watch. To show what happened in Ruka, this warrants him, he is a war criminal. But we have to gather the information. We have to continue to provide Ukraine with the weapons they need to continue the fight. And we have to gather all the detail so this can be an actual, have a war crime trial. In total, the bodies of 410 civilians have been removed from Kiev area towns that were recently retaken from Russian forces. The Russian Federation is denying the allegations, accusing Ukraine of staging the massacre for, quote, anti-Russian purposes. Joining me to give his perspective is Niall Gardner, the director of the Margaret Thatcher Center for Freedom at the Heritage Foundation. Niall, thanks so much for being with us. My pleasure. Thank you very much, Mark. So what is, what is your, your first uh, reaction to uh, Joe Biden specifically mentioning Putin as a, a war criminal, I mean, how do you expect this to play out? What would that mean? Well, I mean, without a doubt, I mean, uh, Putin is carrying out acts of tremendous savagery and, and barbarism that would be defined under any circumstance, I think, as, you know, as war crimes. You know, the, the reality, of course, is that it's going to be very difficult to put Vladimir Putin, uh, you know, in front of some kind of uh, court to be, uh, you know, to be tried. I, I think that, you know, our goal uh, for Ukraine is for the Russians to be defeated on the battlefield, uh, for Putin's forces to be thrown out of out of Ukraine. I think that must be the focus, certainly for the Biden presidency, is to focus on helping Ukraine to win the war, to defeat the Russians, get the Russians out, out of the country. Uh, and, you know, what we have witnessed, without a doubt, I think, in Ukraine is, you know, absolutely horrific savagery, and this is uncivilized behavior by the Russians, you know, the likes of which we've not seen in Europe since certainly Srebrenica in uh, in the mid-1990s, and certainly since the days of World War II. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the Russians have behaved like a completely uncivilized uh, country. It's absolutely horrific what they are doing. This barbarism, it's it's savage, it's, it's, uh, uh, it's absolutely abhorrent and, and appalling. Um, Wait, Niall, can I ask now? Yeah. No, I'm just curious. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the, 
war crimes, which is what, what we're talking about here, right? The yeah. atrocities committed against civilians. Is it, yes. is it possible for us to have any sense as to whether this is Russian uh, official or, or Kremlin policy, essentially do whatever you have to do, go scorched earth, or are, are these soldiers who have decided on, on their own? Do, do you know what I mean? I mean, do we, do we have any way of knowing that this is top-down orders or if this is just atrocities committed by frontline troops who are, you know, have made this decision and, and made this choice of evil? You know, I suspect that these you know, crimes against humanity here, which is what they are, uh, this comes from the very top. Uh, and I think the Russian commanders have ordered this. You look at the scale of the killing, you know, several hundred people here are just butchered. And these are civilians, men, women, children. Uh, I, I suspect the orders came from the Kremlin. Russian generals ordered their troops to carry, you know, carry this out. I don't think these are random attacks by Russian uh, soldiers here. I mean, this this is clearly orchestrated killing, uh, you know, ordered at the very highest levels of the Russian uh, government. Now, what kind of, you know, what kind of people do this? And what is the mindset here? I mean, this is sheer evil and, and barbarism. You know, it's it, this is just, this is what the Nazis used to do during World War II, basically. I'm in no doubt, actually, that if the Russians had a chance to occupy Ukraine, fortunately, they will not have the chance to do that. I'm in no doubt that the scale of the killing and the atrocities would be absolutely vast and massive, Karadago, the Russians, because this, this is what they've done on a smaller scale with, you know, with one or two individual suburbs that they've, they've taken around Kyiv. They've been liberated now, these suburbs. But you can imagine if the Russians had taken the entire city of Kyiv, a city of three million people, what they would have done on a large scale. Uh, and, you know, they would have, I think, butchered thousands or tens, tens of thousands of people. Uh, and there would be no limit to the scale of you know, evil that we would have seen. So, you know, thank God for the bravery of the Ukrainian people driving the Russians out of the capital city uh, and ensuring that we don't see, you know, scenes like this repeated all over the country. The Russians are losing the war, thankfully. Uh, and uh, that's thanks to the immense courage and bravery of the Ukrainian people, because if the Russians had prevailed here, we would have seen scenes like this, atrocities like this, repeated all over the country on a massive scale. Now, now I want to come back to what you just said about the, the Russians losing this war in a moment. But just to, to finish up this thread of our conversation here in analysis, do you think that any commanders, any Russian officials will be held accountable for this? Or with any ceasefire and, and possible peace agreement, is that going to be off the table? Well, I hope one day that they will be held to account, you know, but, uh, you know, the, the, the reality is that, you know, these, these Russian generals, I mean, they act with, you know, with impunity, basically. And, you know, I hope one day that they will pay for their, you know, for their crimes. And, and actually, you know, significantly, uh, a number of Russian generals have already been taken out by the Ukrainian military. That's the best way to make you know, these barbarians pay for what they, they do, make them pay on the battlefield. And the Ukrainians have already, uh, I think, taken out at least 15,000 Russian troops. They've taken out several generals. Uh, and I think that many more Russians will be taken out by the Ukrainian forces. Let's help the Ukrainians, uh, you know, really inflict as much damage as possible on the Russian military war machine. They, they, they Niall, need to pay, I, those, those accountable need to pay. You said the Russians are losing. I just want to give you the opportunity to you know, yeah. ma make that case, because obviously right now there are yeah. people who 
analysts, onlookers, uh, reporters who are saying it's a retrenchment, it's a regrouping, they're losing, you know, you're hearing a lot of this. What's your case for the Russians are actually now retreating and losing the war? Yeah, well, it's a good question because, you know, certainly the Russians are regrouping forces, I think, to to fight a longer uh, conflict, drawn-out conflict in the Donbass region, the east of the country, where they have greater military strength. But, you know, what we're seeing is Russian troops withdrawing from the outskirts of Kyiv, the capital. Uh, this is a retreat. Uh, and they may be regrouping elsewhere, but they haven't succeeded in taking the capital. And they've not succeeded in, in removing the Ukrainian government. They thought this would be a walk in Gorky Park, basically. And the Russians have failed spectacularly. So, you know, in, I think that if historians look back at this decades from now, they will see this as the beginning of the Russian retreat from not only the capital of Kyiv, but also from Ukraine itself. Uh, and um, this is a staggering, uh, you know, turnaround here. Uh, I mean, this is a David versus Goliath battle here, and, and the, the Ukrainians have inflicted immense damage upon Russia's military machine. I mean, they've taken out about a quarter of Russian military capacity on the ground in Ukraine. That's a staggering achievement. You know, who would have thought this actually before the war? Uh, but this is what the Ukrainians have done. So the, the Russians are leaving tails you know, between their legs from, uh, from around the capital. This is a retreat. They're losing the war. They may regroup, you know, in the south and the east, but they're not going to win this war. Uh, and, uh, you know, the Russians are heading for a defeat. Niall, appreciate your perspective and analysis as always. Thanks for being with us. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much, Bob. Disney shareholders are speaking out against the company for its stance on Florida's parental rights and education bill, claiming that the corporation is wasting its money on these moral crusades of the left. We'll have more on that with the first TV's TNLO in just a moment. But, you know, we're living in chaotic times. Foreign identity thieves love that chaos. American homeowners have become a favorite target for these criminals, and it's not just your credit cards and bank accounts they're after. That's small-time stuff. These hackers want your home. The crime is home title theft. It's exploding in the U.S. And no, you are not covered by homeowners insurance or common ID theft services. The problem is the title to our homes are kept online. An identity thief knows his big payday is as easy as forging your signature that you sold your home to him. Now take out loans against your home, and you won't know until collection calls or maybe even an eviction notice arrives. How do you take action today to protect yourself from this? Go to HomeTitleLock.com. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. The first TV's TNLO stops by, coming up. GOP lawmakers aren't the only ones lashing out at Disney after its response to Florida's new parental rights and education bill. Some of the company's shareholders are going so far as to say the corporation is wasting their money defending woke politics. They aren't wrong. Let's bring in the first TV contributor, Tina Lowe, for a reaction. Tina, good to see you. Hey, Buck. So looks like some shareholders are saying, hey, stop destroying the company that we own shares in because we actually care about dollars and cents here more, more than wokeness points. Yes, and anyone acting like Florida is beholden to Disney's dollars forgets that this isn't just, you know, Disney, where Disney films movies. This is hard infrastructure. You cannot move the entirety of Disney World and put it where? San Francisco? New York City? They are not representing the interest, not just of, you know, their average client, which is, you know, let's say independents polled on this quote unquote 
don't say gay bill, which is not a don't say gay bill. Independents are opposed to it or are, are, are in favor of the bill when they realize what it is, which is just making sure that we aren't teaching first graders about you know, the falseness of the gender binary and sexual orientation, because quite frankly, first graders don't need to be learning about sex at all, but that the majority of Democrats support the bill when they are told what is inside of it. So, I mean, if you take the average woke worker who works in Florida, it's very well possible that they support this bill when they know what's in it. It is a losing strategy for Disney as a matter of, of, of dollars and cents because Disney isn't supposed to be a polarizing brand. It's supposed to be fun for the whole family and fun, and fun across the country. And they've chosen to wade into a culture war that they never had to do in the first place. They could have just said nothing. Instead, it's the loudest, quietest, or it's the loudest, smallest woke minority to convince them to take a really political, politically poisonous position here. Disney uh, shareholders to the CEO have said enough politics. Quote, if I weren't a shareholder, I'd find it amusing. Here's a suggestion for Disney CEO Bob Chapek. Get back to business. That is excellence in storytelling. Stop wasting shareholders' money on political crusades that have nothing to do with Disney's business. We all have the right to have our voices heard on issues, but not on the shareholders' dime. I like it. I like to see that people realize that these, you know, don't, you know, go broke, uh, sorry, go woke, go broke mentality comes with real consequences. Yeah, and one of the reasons why we know Disney can do really poisonous things in practice and not, you know, have to face large financial consequences as long as they know how to shut the hell up about them is if you look back to not only how Disney has openly catered to Chinese markets, but also to the Chinese government. Uh, the live action rendition of Mulan that came out two years ago, they overtly thanked the government of Xinjiang, the same division of the government that's responsible for putting Uyghur Muslims in concentration camps, got a shout out in the credits of the Mulan movie for letting them film part of it there. And there was virtually no blowback. So, you know, unless if you think that whatever Ron DeSantis is doing today is somehow much worse than Xi Jinping putting a bunch of people in concentration camps, Disney's allowed to say nothing. Sure, it'll trend with, you know, 2,000 people with the trans pride flag on Twitter in their bios for 48 hours and then it goes away. But they chose to step on this rake. GOP lawmakers are obviously slamming the woke Disney situation here, too. Representative Ralph. Norman of South Carolina uh, here saying they're literally taking the position that children should learn about sexual orientation and gender identity before formal education on what sex even is. I mean, th that's a very fair point. I had my first, I think they called it health class, which was kind of the euphemism for, you know, the birds and the bees. I was in the sixth grade in Catholic school when they gave us a very tepid and, and very baseline explanation of it. All the bill in, in Florida says is not, you don't do this stuff until at least the third grade. That seems very reasonable, I think, to reasonable people. Yes, there is nothing uncontroversial about saying that kids who still laugh at fart jokes probably aren't going to take conversations about being pansexual very seriously. I mean, there's just a certain level where we're talking about prepubescent kids who just think about gender in terms of mommy and daddy and the triangle versus the circle on the door. Why complicate things when you, and especially we can't even teach kids to read at certain important ages. We look at the progress of both 
reading and math scores that were already bad pre-pandemic and now how much worse they are disproportionately in those school districts that remained closed for two years. How about we make sure our kids can, you know, read English and use proper grammar and add and subtract before we, you know, complicate the number of genders from two to 33, including two spirits and gender queer. Um, all of it just goes to show that there is a strange preoccupation among this, the educational apparatus in this country and distracting our kids from, you know, hard math and science, reading, writing, arithmetic, and among the entertainment industry and, you know, getting those kids grown up really fast so they can consume more adult content makes you wonder why. Representative Bob Good says that Disney needs to get back to wholesome entertainment and remember who their paying audience is. Parents of young children, not radical educators, legislators, or woke activists. I mean, I certainly agree with this. I got to tell you, I, I had a family member cancel Disney Plus recently, just saying no more. People are starting to really take notice of this. Oh, definitely. Because look, I think that there are some of us like on the right who are China Hawks who've been sort of beating the drum about disconnect from Disney because we know of what they've done, not only with China, but also with copyright extension. It's part of the reason why it's so difficult for new uh, production studios to break into animation. But you know what is a massive constituency in this country? And that's going to turn up to vote? Parents. And parents don't want to worry that when they let their kid have the iPad and go on Disney Plus, that as you know, Disney executives were talked about in those leaked videos from Chris Rufo, they want to specifically make sure they have X amount of representation, not just of, oh, we're going to make sure that there's a gay couple who is married, but showing transgender characters and convincing people to question their own gender identities. Again, mature audiences can choose whatever they want, but is that what parents want their kids to be exposed to when they trust they're handing over a family-friendly app? No, it's not. It makes it very easy to pull the plug, and especially when there's more content than ever. Outspoken Tesla CEO Elon Musk, switching gears here for a second, Tina, has purchased a large stake in Twitter, which makes him the largest outside shareholder in the social media uh, giant. This is not long after he criticized the company. For what he said was its failure to uphold the tenets of free speech. I did tweet at him by Tesla, I mean, by, not Tesla, he owns Tesla, by Twitter. So I'm not saying it was me here, but I'm not saying it wasn't. But Musk owns 73 million plus shares, which represents 9% as a passive stake in the company. Is this, is this going uh, is this gonna go the distance? You think hostile takeover in favor of free speech of Twitter? What do you think? I mean, this is definitely the way to do it. I, I mean, I've, I've expressed my serious concerns with conservatives who think that, that changes to the bureaucracy we're ever going to solve this. Handing the government more, more power rarely winds up uh, working out well for us. Quite frankly, it's always gonna come down to the billionaires. And maybe that's a bit of a cynical thought, but if you can't create your own Twitter, buy the existing Twitter. And one of the reasons why I think that this is crucial is because we saw what happened to Parler after Donald Trump got, got kicked off of Twitter, Twitter and everyone tried to head over to Parler. Amazon Web Services then kicked Parler offline. So it is very difficult to have a social networking or social media site with global reach without those servers then being drawn into the political fight. Elon Musk knows that Twitter is already a big brand. Again, not as big as we think. Only 8% of American adults are like active daily tweeters. So it is much smaller than I think that we always assume that it is. 
but still significant in terms of taste making, in terms of the people who choose what content are on news shows are all on Twitter. And the fact that Elon Musk is doing this, and Twitter, I believe, is incorporated in California. And as you know, a 9.2% stakeholder, it, it gives him significant legal rights about um, what access he has to attorney-client privileging, privileged communications within the company. There's more legal minutia to look into what specifically that huge purchase gives him the power to, to have. But let's just put this into perspective. That's 1% of his net worth. So if you really want to put pressure on more social media companies, Elon Musk just you know made a declarative shot that he's buying and he can afford to. This would be fantastic. Just the lib meltdowns when they no longer have a playing field dramatically tilted in their favor. Uh, that will be amazing, I gotta tell you. But let's hope it actually comes through. Tina, good to see you. Thank you, Buck. Will Smith still facing a backlash over his slapping of comedian Chris Rock with a number of the actor's projects being shelved by producers. We'll have a discussion on the latest in this with the one and only God Saad, behavioral scientist and author, when we come back. Just over a week after slapping comedian Chris Rock during a presentation at the Oscars, Will Smith is starting to experience some setbacks for his career. The guy's a superstar, but now there are some problems. A report from Esquire reads, Will Smith's Oscar slap is derailing several of his movie productions. Smith's upcoming Netflix film, Fast and Loose, has reportedly slowed production. Smith was recently given the first 40 or so pages of the script for Bad Boys 4, but that production has also been slowed for the time being. Joining me now to discuss the author of the book, The Parasitic Mind, How Infectious Ideas Are Killing Common Sense, and also a great podcaster, Mr. God Saad. God, good to see you, sir. Hey, how you doing, Buck? Thanks for having me again. So now that we have a little bit of, of distance from the great slap heard around the world, if you will, or watched around the world, really, what do you think are, are the, the aspects of this, I mean, that, that are going to continue on? It, it feels like there are some professional consequences. What do you think about it all? You know, what amazes me is that it would be a surprise that there would be consequences. Imagine if I were operating in the university ecosystem, whereby every time someone peer reviews one of my papers and I don't like their insulting tone, I try to hunt them down and slap them. How long would my career last? So the fact that there are real world consequences for someone to violently assault someone else, I understand it. I mean, he didn't beat him to death, but he did assault him. He did slap him for an innocuous joke. It seems to me that it should be obvious that he should suffer some consequences. I'm actually glad that he suffered. I mean, not that I am being gleeful in his demise, but I mean, actions have consequences and it's only, it's only normal that even in the rarefied world of Hollywood, that people would have to pay for idiocy that they engage in. A couple of big film companies are actually canceling Will Smith uh, because, or Will Smith projects because of his actions. According to Daily Beast, the Will Smith biopic was shelved after the Oscar slap. Insiders say a bidding war for the actor's biop uh, biopic, which is based on his best-selling autobiography, Will, is now effectively over after Netflix and Apple pulled their bids following his bizarre Oscars meltdown. So, I mean, to your point, there there are some professional consequences from this. I mean, what? What did you think about the initial reaction that a lot of people seem to have? Uh, did, did the country get this one right? Because I saw some polls that said it was about 50-50, but then other polls seem to suge suggest that everybody understands you can't hit somebody because they make a joke that you don't like. 
Yeah, I can't imagine what would be the logic for thinking that you should that this is defensible. Look, uh, I, I'm an honor guy. I come from a culture of honor and shame. The Middle East, we don't fool around. So I understand the idea of defending your honor, defending the, the honor of your spouse. But listen, I get attacked incessantly, nonstop, all day on social media. And in some cases, even they bring in my wife into the mix. This is why, by the way, I keep my family always out of the mix. And I didn't try to hunt down every single person who said something nasty about my wife. Not a joke, but really nasty stuff about my wife. Uh, I didn't hunt them down. I recognize that if I'm in the public eye, people are obnoxious, people are cruel. And I you know, brush it off my shoulders and I move on. So. Uh, no, I think those who defended his right to hit him were in the wrong. And I think those who said that under no circumstances should you be engaging in this type of violence got it right. One of my favorite actors is Denzel Washington. And here, yeah. I got to say, actually, I was a big Will Smith fan before this, too. Uh, but here's Denzel Washington speaking out about it. Uh, watch this. For whatever reason, the devil got a hold of him that, of that circumstance that that night. Some prayers, you know, um, keep it, keep it. I want to say what, what we talked about. There but for the grace of God, go any of us. Sure. You know, who are we to, to, to condemn? That uh, the right tone, right attitude, what do you think? Yeah, I'm, I'm not big on the religious eschatology, the, de the devil, the demon, God, and so on. Uh, we have personal agency. Every single of every day, we have a bifurcation in the road. I can go right or I can go left. The one who lives a good life is the one who consistently makes the right decision at each fork of the road throughout their lives, right? I am the conductor of my life. I am the architect of my life. It's not the devil. It's not the demon. It's not God. It's not the angels. It's not Lucifer. So no, I'm not a fan of what Denzel Washington said. And by the way, I don't share your uh, previous fanhood of uh, Will Smith. I actually always said that I, he sends out, for me at least, a creep vibe, and I think I have been vindicated. I guess you didn't like the Bad Boys franchise, and uh, I am legend quite as much as I did, which is fine, which is fine. To each his own, to each his own. Um, but uh, I, I did want to ask you, if I could, Gad, uh, switching gears here for a second, uh, you know, there, the, the trans agenda has gotten more attention in recent months than, than in any, honestly, I think you could argue any other time, certainly since, I guess, maybe Caitlyn Jenner came out as trans. I mean, it's been a major news story because of what's going on with the NCAA Swimming Championship, where now, according to the NCAA, the fastest swimmer in the world is a male who is six foot three and used to compete as a male swimmer on the University of Pennsylvania team and the 500-meter freestyle, which is really, I think, the, you know, the most... Uh, consider the, the top event in the NCAA swimming competition in the first place, it is now a biological male who holds the national title. Why is this so important to left? I mean, they, they try to do this thing where they say, why is the right obsessed with this, which is absurd because they force the issue and they change the rules and then they want us to not talk about it. Clearly, though, this is essential to the left-wing vanguard, the trans agenda issue. Why? So, I mean, there are several ways to answer this, one of, it, one of which is something that I've been you know, covering in my scientific career. I, I apply evolutionary psychology and evolutionary biology in studying human behavior. And most social scientists are united in their rejection of biology being relevant in explaining human affairs, right? So what most social scientists pray at the altar of 
we transcend our biology. What makes us human is that we are different from the mosquito and the zebra and the dog. So sure, you can use biology to explain the behavior of every other species, but surely it can't apply to humans. So I think it's part of that reflex. This is what I call in the parasitic mind biophobia, the fear of using bio biology to explain human affairs. So transactivism is, if you'd like, the most orgiastic form of that rejection of, of biology, right? Because that I'm not constrained by my genitalia. I'm not constrained by my biological uh, reality. I simply have to put the suffix trans before me and I could be anything. So in a sense, it liberates me from the pesky shackles of reality. What makes it grotesque is that it is a rejection of the most fundamental aspects of our human nature. We are a sexually reproducing species with two phenotypes, male and female. Charles Darwin talked about male and females when it comes to sexual selection. So you can be trans and you can aspire to live a life free of bigotry. And I would be the first in line to support your right to live a life free of bigotry. But in the service of that goal, we don't have to murder truth and rape truth in order to protect you. And we certainly don't have in the service of protecting you be very, very uh, unfair to all of the women that you are actually beating. So I could chew gum and walk at the same time. I could support trans rights without saying that, you know, sometimes boys too can menstruate. It's unbelievable. God Saad, good to see you, sir. As always, appreciate you making the time. Thank you, sir. Cheers. New York City Mayor Eric Adams announced his administration will be spending big bucks on an ad campaign to convince members of Florida's LGBTQ plus community to move to the Big Apple here in New York City. I'll have that story and more in Quick Hits. Stay with us. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg says high prices at the pump are here to stay until the economy switches over to clean energy. That's right, buy a Tesla, peasant, or else don't whine about your gas prices. And Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has a new theme song. Oh, we got those stories tonight on Quick Hits. Let's get to it. Look, the Biden administration's uh, religious belief in clean energy is embarrassing and, and frustrating, too. I mean, they should be embarrassed by it. They're not. But to anybody who's reasonable, it's embarrassing to see them talk about this stuff. Uh, and it's very frustrating to people who are paying higher prices at the pump on a regular basis, uh, much higher prices. And it's also a more expensive economy all across the board. There are ways that this could be dealt with, um, pushing for more energy production that's domestic, which would bring down, we got supply and demand still in effect here, bring down the price of gas, bring down the price of these things. Even if it took some time, it would be priced into the market early on if there were an aggressive domestic production push. You could also talk about nuclear energy, but oh no, we can't do that because the environment, environmentalists think that everything is going to turn into Chernobyl, so they, they won't let us. Hmm. So what are we told? Oh, well, until we go with clean energy, meaning, you know, windmills, geothermal, stuff like that, until we find some way to get there, get used to the price hikes, Mayor Buttigieg says. Watch. So less dependent on foreign oil, and that protects us from shortages at, at fuel stations. But here's the thing to remember. Even if all of the oil we use in the USA were made in the USA, the price of it is still subject to powers and dynamics outside of the USA, which means that until we achieve a form of energy independence that is based on clean energy created here at home, American citizens will still be vulnerable to wild price hikes like we're seeing right now. Uh, so let's just completely dramatically transform the American economy to be reliant on 
quote, clean energy. That's the solution here. How, how long will that take? Even, even if we tried to do it, how long would that take? Do you know how expensive energy would be if you had to rely on windmills? I mean, think about this for a moment. You had to rely on wind farms and solar. You were Because those are not very efficient technologies right now. See, this is the problem. But they just ignore it all because, you know, they're ideologues. And they're rooted in this false belief that they're saving the planet by making your gas more expensive. Riley Gaines is a swimmer at the University of Kentucky. She uh, has spoken out. Actually, she spoke on the Clay and Buck radio show, which you should all check out at some point. Great radio show that I co-host. Uh, she spoke out against trans athletes in women's sports. Here she is saying that there are a lot of female athletes who are really not okay with this. You're just not hearing from them because they're scared of the woke mob coming after them. Watch. What I've realized if, they're need, if, they're, if we want to change is you have to use your voice. Um, I think we have to you know, let people know as a group that the majority of us female athletes or females in general really are not okay with this and are not okay with you know, the trajectory of this and how this is going and how this could end up in a couple of years. Female athletes are not okay with this. Of course they're not. It's outrageous what's going on here. And the left, which claims to be all about feminism, has completely abandoned women's achievement, women's sports, all of it, to their trans agenda madness on this issue. It's appalling. Senator Ron DeSantis has a new campaign theme song written and performed by Leonard Skinner, lead singer Johnny Van Zant. that is. Watch. Don't like him, but it sure does get my business. He stands up for what he believes. So don't come down here trying to change things. We're doing all right in the Sunshine State. Stay out of our business, leave our gov alone. actually. That's it for tonight's Hold the Line. The No Spin News with Bill O'Reilly is next. Fields high. There's a battle going on right now that may be the most important fight our country's had since the Revolutionary War. Once again, it's about our freedom. People like you and me are being canceled. Our speech increasingly censored by big tech and corporate media. Can't let that happen. Time to fight back. Please stand with us and support The First TV. Be a part of our team dedicated to preserving the very essence of who we are, free Americans. Born on America's darkest day of 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been helping America's heroes ever since. When a first responder or military service member doesn't come home and young children are left behind, Tunnel to Towers pays the mortgage on the family home to lift the financial burden. For severely injured veterans and first responders, Tunnel to Towers builds mortgage-free smart homes, enabling severely injured heroes to move around their homes more independently. Through the Foundation's Homeless Veteran Program, Tunnel to Towers is providing housing and services to homeless veterans. More than 3,300 were helped last year alone. Because all veterans who honorably served, whether in peacetime or war, 
deserve our nation's gratitude. People who put their lives on the line for our country and our communities need your help now more than ever. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good and never forget 9-11 or the sacrifices of this country's heroes. Donate $11 a month at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. 